We're all painfully aware that much of our life consists of events and environments that try to limit us, discourage us, and choke out our hope. The easiest route is to give up, but it's not the only road. Even in the midst of these hostile surroundings, not only can you survive, you can grow, you can live, you can thrive and thrive. Hey, that was fast. <laughs> Hasn't it been great to be here tonight? I, I, I guess I'm just so glad to be home. You know, I know I have the privilege of leading a fantastic church, and sometimes I forget just how wonderful it is. And last week, I was in my, my home area, Dallas-Fort Worth area, and, and I was with some churches that were, were larger than New Spring. And, uh, and yet, I don't know, I, I just, they didn't have our praise band they didn't have, you know, and, and they didn't have Lance. And, and you know, one thing I, I discovered, they don't have you. You know, they don't have new springers. It, you guys are radical. And then they don't have Del Poor. Because I, I came in here and, and I, I, we had some great songs, but I kept wanting to sing Walk Like an Egyptian, you know. And aren't you glad the 80s are gone and took, the, took its music with? Phenomenal, phenomenal. I'm starting a brand new series tonight, and I just want to uh, tell you before we get started that I'm going to be talking for the next five weeks about a character in the Bible who is one of my all-time favorites. His name is Joseph, and uh, the series is called Thrive, and the tagline is living a functional life in a dysfunctional world, and the reason why I just kind of focus on that tagline for a moment is uh, I'd like to talk about the word dysfunctional for a few moments, because it became a really big word about 15, 20 years ago, and uh, I think... I think that word messes with us a little bit. So we could, could we just talk about this? Um, interestingly, the word dysfunctional for a long time wasn't used in, in, in terms of relationships uh, as it came to be. It was a word that described mechanical systems or, or just systems. And, and so, you know, for instance, if there was a machinery that didn't work, it was dysfunctional. If there was a system that had failed to be successful, it was a dysfunctional system. And I think it's kind of peculiar. Don't you think it's ironic that in the age that sort of glorifies technology, that dysfunctional has come to refer to relationships? Like, um, it's very common today to say that these people, certain people, have a dysfunctional marriage. That's actually a, almost an archaic term today, a dysfunctional marriage. Or for somebody to say, I came from a dysfunctional home. I hear about dysfunctional friendships. Um, I hear about dysfunctional work environments. Uh, dysfunctional, I actually bought a book one time called The Dysfunctional Church. I wanted to read it to see if my church was dysfunctional. But anyway, it's, it's kind of become a word that we just sort of throw around. It's dysfunctional. And, 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 and is it just me, or, or does that word kind of intimidate us a little bit? Because we, we hear about that, and we think, well, is my marriage dysfunctional? You know, we argue a little bit too much, and, and we don't get along, and we kind of you know, have some issues about how we spend the money. So is my marriage dysfunctional? And the home that I came from, you know, um, oh, my dad yelled too much, and and, and my mom uh, couldn't cook, so maybe the, the home that I came from was dysfunctional. And my friends are kind of creepy, so maybe I have dysfunctional friendships, you know? And, and so here's the thing. Here's, here's how I think it messes with us. And just hang with me for a moment before we get into the message, because I want to see if you experience what I've experienced, because I think it's going to be meaningful to us tonight as we get into our study. Do you ever get the feeling that the idea that, you know, there are dysfunctional homes, dysfunctional marriages, dysfunctional friendships, 
Do you ever get the idea that really we're on this island of dysfunction surrounded by this sea of normalcy? That, every, that the world is really functional. And that everybody else pretty much out there has functional marriages. It's my marriage that's dysfunctional. You know, everybody else has functional friendships. It's my, my friendship that's dysfunctional. And I think what's happened is we've almost come to believe that something is really wrong with us and that everything out there is fine. And some of you may have actually come in here tonight with that in, with that in mind. And, and it could be that you're, you're kind of saying, I don't want anybody to get very close to me. I don't want anybody to get very close to my marriage. I don't want anybody to get very close uh, and, and, and some of us actually, forgive me for breaking a sentence, but I think some of us actually live a life of loneliness, not because we want to be alone. We very much don't want to be. It's just that we don't want anybody to get too close to us because all those normal people out there, all those people who are functional out there, are, if they get close enough to me, they will know where my areas of dysfunction are. And I think that's a lie. I don't know how you feel about that, but I think that is a creepy lie that has been sold to us because what I want you to know is that if you are functional, you're the one on the island and you're surrounded by a sea of dysfunction because this is a dysfunctional world. The whole thing is broken. And uh, I just, you know, I want us to get that tonight. If you don't get anything else, I want you to, to realize that if you wind up living a functional life in a dysfunctional world, you're going to be the aberration. You're going to be the unusual thing because this is a broken world. And I think the reason why our culture is so disingenuous about this is that somewhere along the lines about a hundred years or so ago, we decided that there was no God, that we were not put here by a creator, that we came by the process of evolution. And we're just going to keep figuring out until we get smarter and better and we're going to have a great world and really it is going to be functional someday. But in the meantime, if you're screwed up, you're dysfunctional, but the world itself is really functional. Well, let's, let's talk about the word dysfunctional for a moment. What it means is it just does not function the way it was designed to. So in order for us to understand what real functionality is, don't we have to go back to the designer? It's an old story, really, really old story. But the, there's a story about a guy who uh, had a Model T and it broke down. And, and if you've read history, you know that Model Ts were, they were known, you know, they were, they, were, they were great for their generation, but it was like something was always going to go wrong. You have a flat, something go wrong. And this guy was like out in the countryside, it just shut down. He didn't know what to do. He thought he would hide and try to find a mechanic. But before he could, before he could you know, get very far, there were three guys hiking and a couple, three old guys. And uh, he, he stopped and said, uh, you guys know where we could find a mechanic? And they didn't. And he said, well, do, do any of you know anything about a Model T? The guy in the middle of this old guy, thin, gaunt guy, said, well, I know a little bit about him. He said, well, would you mind taking a look at mine? The old guy, he flipped open the, you know, the cover, or the engine cover, and he piddled around for a few moments and, and then, you know, started up and it was humming or whatever Model Ts did, clanking, whatever. And, uh, and it was just running just great. And, and so the guy said, well, hey, let, let me pay you. And the old man said, no, I'm not going to let you pay me. And he said, well, would you please just tell me whose kindness I'm taking advantage of? And the old guy stuck out his hand and said, hello, I- I'm Henry Ford. <laughs> now, here's the deal. If you don't let the creator get his hands under your hood, you're going to be dysfunctional. You're not going to function the way you were designed to function. And we are living in a world that is dysfunctional because the world does not surrender to the authority of God. It all goes back to the Garden of Eden. In Romans chapter 5, Paul talks about this. He says, when Adam sinned, 
sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. In other words, the world became dysfunctional at the moment when Adam chose to listen to Satan instead of listening to God. God had basically given Adam and Eve kingdom authority over this world. If you've ever wondered why this world seems to work backwards, or if you've ever questioned if it works backwards, you're correct. It does work backwards. God never intended for this world to work the way it does. And clearly, you know that you know, someone has said a lie will go around the world before truth gets its shirt on. That's because the world is stacked backwards. Why is evil so prevalent? Why is it so hard? Why do we have to fight so uphill to get good things done? It's because when Adam sinned, he surrendered kingdom authority over to the enemy. And scripture says, Adam's sin brought death, death spread to everyone. Well, that's terrible. We can fault Adam and Eve and say, well, you should have left the fruit or whatever it was alone. But scripture says it came to everyone because everyone sinned. So if I get too upset with Adam and Eve, then I have to look in the mirror and realize that I've done a lot of wrong too. So the world is broken. It's broken in the box, and it's not going to change. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 31, the Bible says, The outward form of this world, this present world order, is passing away. I could be talking to somebody here tonight, and you could say, Mark, we're going to figure it out. We're going to figure it out. We're going to solve global warming. We're going to figure out economic issues. We're, we're going to figure it out, and the world is going to be functional. Well, let me ask you a couple of questions, because it could be that you might think that what I've said about the world is too dark. 6,000 years of recorded history. Find an error for me where it worked. Find an error for me without war. Find an error for me where people treated their neighbors like they should. Well, let me say, if, if that question is too difficult, let's look into the future. How do prospects look now for a functional world? Man, we're pleading with North Korea, please, put your nukes back in the toy box. And they're saying, oh, no, we're not going to do it. Same thing with Iran. They, they don't know who won the election over there. It's a mess. And that's just a couple of hot spots. So all I want to say to you today is if you've gotten, if you came in here tonight, and I don't know, this is sort of backhanded good news, but if you came in here tonight and you said, Mark, I thought I was the one all screwed up and the world was fine, I want you to know the whole world screwed up. In fact, I, 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 this is a reprise of a series that I did 10 years ago, and, and I'm only going to be able to do like five messages. I think I did like 18 back in that, you know, 10 years ago. I, I, I've got a message I'm not going to be able to do, but the message was called Every Family is a Little Dysfunctional. Because if you look in the Bible, every family that you read about is messed up. So if nothing else, if you feel messed up tonight, at least you can come in and say, hey, I'm not the only one. And at least I'm not surrounded by a sea of normalcy. So how do you and I live functional lives in a dysfunctional world? For the next five weeks, I want to show you the life of a guy named Joseph. Joseph lived in a broken world. Oh, if there ever was a guy who lived in a broken world, it was Joseph. His story is in Genesis. Interestingly, Genesis has about 3,000 years of recorded history. Joseph the story of Joseph comprises pretty much the last 13 chapters of the book of Genesis. If you want to read ahead, and I'd encourage you to do it, just start in Genesis 37. Don't read right now. But go home sometime and, and just read Genesis 37 through 50. It's the story of Joseph. 
And his story, like I say, is very important because after all, in a book that contains half the world's recorded history, God gave 13 chapters to the story of this guy. And this is something I don't talk about a lot, but in the Bible, there are sort of prophetic types or pictures or symbols. In other words, there's a character and in, in, in some way he represents Jesus or he's a sort of type or a picture of Jesus who is to come. One of the greatest types or symbols in the Bible of Jesus is Joseph. Just follow the life of Joseph. And when you read those 13 chapters, notice how many little things are similar to the life of Jesus. He's, it's a great story. But he lived in a broken world. I could be talking to somebody here tonight, and you could say, Mark, listen, my life is all messed up because I came from a messed up background. Well, you're going to have a soul brother in Jacob, uh, jo- uh, Joseph, excuse me. First of all, he came from a family that was messed up. Now, I won't talk about this too much tonight. We'll talk about it later. But his dad wound up married to two women. That's not good. He wasn't a Mormon or anything. He just... That's the way things were back then. And he didn't want to marry one of them. He got tricked into marrying her. In fact, he, you know, they didn't have electric lights or anything. And, he, he, you know, the father brought this gal to, to Jacob, Joseph's father, and, and he got married. And the next morning when he woke up, he's married to the wrong woman. He'd say, Mark, I know about that. <laughs> he really was. He was really in love with her sister. Oh, that'll fix up a family, won't it? (laughs) Eventually, he married both of them. He didn't want the first one. The wife that he loved couldn't have children. The wife he didn't love could. She had a lot. So Joseph had a lot of brothers. And then on top of that, he kind of like had a couple, couple of like concubines and had kids by them. Finally, after years, you know, the wife that Jacob loved was able to have a baby, and that baby was Joseph. That's our guy. And man, you talk about doting. This father doted on on Joseph. He was dad's favorite. Even though he was the 11th of 12 sons, he was dad's favorite. And his brothers, his older brothers, absolutely hated him. And we're going to see tonight that in, in in order to get rid of him, they actually at one point wanted to kill him. You say, Mark, I have sibling rivalry in my family. Chances are your brothers and sisters haven't wanted to kill you, at least enough to really contemplate doing it. Of course, this favoritism thing created all kinds of strife in the family. And, and, and so what happened was Jacob, Joseph's dad, would send his brothers into the field. They, they had cattle. That's how they had, you know, had money back in those days. That money, cattle, was, cattle were money. And so they, in order to get grazing, they would have to send them long distances to, to get grazing lands. And so his dad would send Joseph to check on his brothers to make sure that they were doing right. Well, his brothers were a mess. They weren't doing right most of the time. So you can imagine how delighted they were for Joseph to come check on them and take his report back to daddy. And then in the meantime, God starts talking to Joseph. And that's a good thing. You know, all these bad things are going on. You know, God starts, by the way, I meant meant to tell you something I didn't tell you a moment ago. His mom died when he was real small, giving birth to his younger brother. Well, anyway, the deal is when Joseph went to, to check on his, you know, before he went to check on his brothers the last time, uh, God gave Joseph dreams. And he started dreaming about things that didn't make his brothers very happy. It wasn't Joseph's fault. He didn't give himself the dreams, you know. He didn't eat too many beans and onions before he went to bed. He just, God gave him dreams. 
And, and in the dream, his brothers were all, they were all, you know, cutting sheaves of grain. And, and in his dream, all his brother's sheaves bowed down to his sheaf. And they didn't like that. And then one night he had a dream that the sun and moon and 11 stars all bowed down to him. That was his dad, his mom, and his brothers, and they didn't like that either. So anyway, Joseph goes to see his brothers to check on them. And when they see him coming, they said, here comes that dreamer. We're going to, you know, because he had, he had told him, he said, guys, I had this great dream, and God has shown me I'm going to be the CEO. And, and they said, no, you're going to be DEAD, because uh, when, they saw, they, they, and when they saw him coming, they were going to kill him. But Joseph's oldest brother, Reuben, knew that if they did kill him, they would have to answer to their dad. So he thought he would just calm them down and let them mess with him a little bit. And they found a pit, and they threw Joseph in the pit. And Reuben strayed off to take care of some errand. And while he was doing that, there was a group of Ishmaelite traders, slave traders who came by. And his ten brothers said, well, let's not, sell him. let's not kill him, let's sell him. And they sold him for 20 pieces of silver pocket change. And so the last they see of their brother, he is being taken off in ropes to Egypt to be a slave. And no doubt they said to themselves, well, we won't kill him, but they'll kill him. That'll be the end of his dreams. He goes down to Egypt, he becomes a slave, and things, and we'll, we'll save this right now for a moment, because this is what we're going to talk about in a few moments, but things, let's just say they go well for him. And he winds up a, a, a slave in, in the household of a very wealthy man, but then his wife starts getting a case for Joseph, and then when he won't follow up on her advances, she claims that he tried to rape her. And Joseph winds up in prison. Things go well for him in prison. And while he's there, there are two servants of the Pharaoh who come down, and and they have a dream, and Joseph interprets their dreams, and one of them gets executed, and the other goes back to the palace. And Joseph says to the guy going back to the palace, when you get back there, would you just tell the king that I'm down here and I'm innocent? Well, of course, when the guy goes back, he says, oh, yeah, I'll tell him. Yeah, tell him. Yeah, you interpreted my dream. You're innocent. Yeah. Well, he goes back. He's just lucky to have his head. Surely he's not going to say, there's a guy down there in the prison who says he's innocent. They all say they're innocent. Forgets about Joseph. Two years. Now, for 13 years, Joseph has a series of unfortunate events in his life, actually for longer than that. If you're looking for a guy who has a broken world, you're going to find it in Joseph, and yet... It's the most phenomenal thing. We'll see this, and I can't wait to give a whole message, a whole talk on this. But when Joseph is 30 years old, he becomes the most important man in the world. We used to call this the fast track in the 90s, didn't we? Isn't this odd? Isn't this a peculiar juxtaposition? Because on one hand, he has this broken world, and yet on the other hand, he's like rising to the top, and God uses all of these broken issues, all all this brokenness in his life. He goes from you know, being in a, in a pit to being the most powerful man in the world in 13 years. How does he do it? Tonight, I want to give you the beginning of our series, and I want to tell you how you can live a functional life in a broken world. In the Bible, Scripture talks about something called favor or grace. If you and I are going to live a functional life in a broken world, it will be because we have the favor or the grace of God upon us. Let, let me tell you what I think our issue is, and this is mine, and, and I'm, just, I'm just speaking candidly tonight. Our, my, I think our problem with the broken world is we tend to respond to it according to our personality. If I'm talking to someone here tonight and you're melan- you have a sort of a melancholy personality, or you have 
sort of a, a little bit of a dark side to you, you're going to look at a broken world and you're going to say to yourself, it's not fair. I am a victim here. But the problem with being a victim is that no matter how true it is, being a perpetual victim can screw up your whole life for years. My personality is I'm an, I'm an optimist by nature. I, I'm a kind of person that says things are going to get better. And sometimes I respond to a broken world and say, well, it's not good now, but it's going to get better. You know, I, I, it'll be better when I get into college. It'll be better when I graduate from college. It's going to be better when I get the next raise. It's going to be better when I find Miss Wright. It's going to be better, you know, when I find Mr. Wright. It's going to be better when I have a kid. It's going to be better when my kids grow up and leave the house. <laughs> I, heard, I heard about a dad the other day that put a sign over his teenager's room and said, check out time is 18, you know. <laughs> That's, that's not, not that part, but my nature is things are going to get better. You know, it's not good now, but it's going to get better. It's a little Pollyannish kind of deal. Others of you, you're the fixers. You're the doers of the world. And you're saying, you know what? It's, the world's broken, but all it needs is for me to get my hands on it. You know, I know people who are broken, but I can give them a makeover. I can tell them what they need to do to change their lives. But what happens? Well, people don't want to listen to you. The truth of the matter is, guys... The world isn't going to change because we sit around and mope over how unfair it is, or we hope it's going to get better, or we try to fix it. The world is what it is. The only way that you and I can live a functional life in a dysfunctional world is to have the grace of God upon our lives and to enjoy His favor. If you read these 13 chapters that I've asked you to read, Genesis 37 through 50, what you're going to discover is that Joseph's life can be summed up in pretty much two thoughts. Number one, bad things happened to him. He had the favor of God on him. And here's the thing I want to get across to us for the next five weeks. You can survive bad things happening to you. You can survive a failed marriage. You can survive losing your job. You can survive having some sort of financial reversal. You can survive having your kids not be everything that you want them to be. Just whatever's bad, whatever's an unfortunate event, put it in that blank. You can survive it as long as you have God's favor upon your life. So how do you have God's favor? Well, in the Bible, God says that he loves those that he loves or has favor on him, on whom he will have favor on, and he rejects those whom he will reject. In the book of Romans chapter 9, God says, Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated. And so what God is saying is, look, I can put favor on whomever I want to put favor, but it's not as arbitrary as that sounds. Because in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, God explains a little bit of why he puts favor on certain people. I am so interested in that, aren't you? If I can know why God puts favor, because see, here's the deal. If you have God's favor on you, you can have people around you who are better educated than you are, and you can rise above them. If you have God's favor, that could be people around you making lots more money, and yet you have more blessings in your life, and you enjoy what you have more than they do. I mean, if you have God's favor upon you, there can be people who grease every wheel, shake every hand, try to meet every right person, and yet you'll slip right past them, and they'll say, where did she come from? I want God's favor. And you say, well, Mark, listen, I just think it's totally, totally egalitarian. I just think God treats everybody equally. Then you need to read the Bible. Because he doesn't. So when I get a clue about what God looks for, 
when he's deciding who to give favor to, I'm all over it. Well, the story, and I don't want to take us away from Joseph too far, but the story is about David. David that killed the giant Goliath and eventually became king. And there was a prophet, Samuel, in those days, the prophet would anoint the next king with oil. I mean, he would stand before a family and God would say, put the oil on this guy's head. And it, it's a terrible thing. I mean, after all, you, you wouldn't think, surely they could just shook his hand or something, but they poured oil on the guy. And so he's, he's, Samuel is in Bethlehem and he's looking at the sons of Jesse because God has said to him, one of the sons of Jesse is going to be the next king. Man, Jesse's oldest boy was tall, good looking. He's strong, you know, and in those days, usually things went to the oldest son. And so, you know, Samuel the prophet had the horn of oil up, and he was about to pour it on, on, on Eliab, on his, Jesse's oldest son's head. And God said, don't want him. Well, you know, you've got seven sons there. Let's go to the next. God said, don't want him. He goes to the third. God said, don't want him. Finally, he goes through all seven sons. Really embarrassing. And he, and he says, don't... Is this all, all, all your sons? He said, oh, we got one. He got the runt. He got the baby of the family. But we didn't even bring him today because we figured surely he wouldn't be the king. He's out watching sheep. And Samuel said, well, go get him. We're not going to eat till he gets here. And knowing church groups like I know, that is very powerful. Now, when Samuel had that horn of oil and he was about to dump it on Eliab's head, here's what God said to him. And this is the clue about favor. The Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I am convinced that the secret to favor is your heart. If I'm talking to somebody here tonight... You can read your Bible 26 times a year, and you can be in every service, and you can download my sermons, and you can read all the books and all the Bible studies. But if you're self-centered and have a rebellious heart, it's game, set, match. You say, but Mark, it's not fair. There's a lot of stuff that happens in my life, and I just think until it's fair that I'm just not going to react well. See, that's the deal. God is looking for people with a heart. God is looking for people with an attitude of submission. God is looking for people who have an attitude of response to him. That is one reason why I think we American Christians are the most underproductive Christians in the world. We have so much, it's allowed us to be self-centered and self-focused. And because of that, we're going to do what we want to do. And God says, okay, I'm just going to have to turn off the favor and pour it out over in Africa and pour it out over in China where, where people are humble before me. Man, God is looking for people to give favor to. And he looks on the heart. And when God looked at Jacob's family, he saw ten boys that just didn't have a heart. They had a messed up heart. They had a heart of rebellion. They had a heart of we want what we want. They had a heart of anger that God was blessing Joseph. And God said, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm just going to pour out my favor on Joseph. Now, the scripture that I want us to read tonight is just right after Joseph is taken down to Egypt. He's been taken out of the pit. He's been handcuffed. And the Ishmaelites are leading him away to Egypt. Joseph is going to a place he's never been before. He does not know the language. He doesn't know anybody there. It's a foreign religion. Beyond that, he is going as a slave. If they want to kill him, 
They can kill him. They don't even have to go to court over it. He's just a piece of property. And Joseph now is on his way to Egypt. Let's read. I want to read Genesis 39, 1 through 6. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to read out the NIV at first. But if you have your translation with you, whatever it is, you'll you'll see what we're going to read together is going to be great. I want to show you seven things about favor just in these few verses. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. Verse 3, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. That, ladies and gentlemen, is favor. Let me show you seven things about favor here. You taking notes? You're going to love these. Number one. Take down. Joseph was taken down. It's not a good thing, but that's where favor began. Look at verse 1. Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. You ever been taken down? Ever have life just take you down? But here's the thing that a person who has favor can, can realize. That whenever life takes you down, God is going to use that event for his glory and your good. Now, I want to make one thing very clear. God is not behind bad things. Because some people have the idea, well, hey, if God is in charge of everything and something bad happens to me, then God made something bad happen to me. No, no, no. You live in a broken world. We read why back a few moments ago in Romans chapter 5. But here is the joy that God can take bad events that happen to us and he can use them for good. I was, some of you may know the name Richard Dawkins. Richard Dawkins is a noted atheist and a guy that hates Christianity and, and, and rails against us all the time. He's, Richard Dawkins is writing about bad stuff that happens to people. Listen to what he said. He said, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect. If there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. That is the best that an atheist can offer you. When you have something bad happen in your life, an atheist can say to you, well, that's just how the cookie crumbles. That's the luck of the draw. Nothing but pitiless indifference. Guys, let me tell you something. If you have God's favor upon you, even if something bad happens to you, you can look up to heaven and say, God, I'm hurting tonight. But I do know this, that your word is true. And all things work together for good to those who love you, to those who are called according to your purpose. The Bible says Joseph was taken down. Let's go real quickly to number two. This is in verse two. The Bible says God was with him. Guys, here's good news. If you get taken down, God will be with you. If you get taken down, then God gets taken down and he will stay with you. You can handle just about anything in your life if you sense that God's presence is with you. I'm wondering tonight how many I'm talking to. I can tell you when when I say this, I can tell you that in my life, the times when God's presence has been the most real have been in some of the worst times of my life. The Lord knows I don't want to go through bad times. But I can tell you this, that in the darkest moments of my life, there have been moments when I felt like I could reach out and touch him because his presence was so close to me. 
I could be talking to somebody here tonight, and you say, Mark, how can I have God's favor? I've been taken down. Well, you know, if you have God's presence with you, even if you're taken down, he'll be right there with you. I think I've told this story before in a different kind of sermon. But many years ago, we had a sweet little couple at the old location. (laughs) And um, they would sort of toddle in. My goodness, they had to be 100 years old, both of them. And we just used to love to watch them because they would just like hold each other up as they would come in. And they sat in the same place every time. And then she passed away and left him alone. And of course, like happens in so many cases, it wasn't too many weeks before he became quite ill. I went up to Wesley to see him. The doctors had told me I'd stepped outside to talk to the doctors before I went in the room. Doctor said, I don't think he's going to make it for another 24 hours. And they had sort of told him. And I sat down by the bed and I talked to him and he, cut, he said, Pastor, he said, I'm scared to death. I'm afraid to die. And I prayed with him and I tried to reassure him from the scriptures. And, but anyway, I went home and, and next morning, I, first thing I did, well, it was like 7 o'clock in the morning, I raced back to the hospital because I knew how f- frightened he was. Now, you, I don't know how this does with your theology or not. But I can just tell you, I was there, and this is what he said. I walked in prepared to help him with his fears. And when he saw me walk in, big old smile across his face. And he said, Pastor, he said, do you know what happened? He said, about 3 o'clock in the morning, he said, there was a bright light by my doorway. And he said, it was Jesus. And he came in and sat down right where you're sitting and said, don't be afraid. Now, you can question whether he saw Jesus or not, but I I was there when he died, and he died without any fear at all. That's why the psalmist said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Man, I'm talking to some of you tonight. You're having a terrible time, and I'm sorry that you're having a terrible time, and I wish it would change, and, and I believe your circumstances will change. But I can say this. If you have God in your life and his favor is resting upon you, you have his presence, and by his strength, you can go through what you think you cannot go through. I got five more. I got to hustle, don't I? <laughs> Look at this. Verse 3. The Lord gave him success. Well, excuse me, what is he doing for a living right now? He's a slave. Now, when I think about success, I think about somebody who runs a corporation. I think about somebody who's got a high-profile job. I mean, Joseph, Joseph is a slave. And yet, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, God gave him success. Let me read the whole line. The Lord was with him, and the Lord gave him success in everything he did. What a wonderful balance. First of all, he was doing something. There are people who don't do anything, and they want God to come along and give them success. That's not how it works. On the other hand, there are people that say there's no God to it. I'm doing it. If anything happens here, I'm going to do it. I love Joseph's balance. Joseph was doing everything he could, and God came along and brought him success. God will not give success to lazy people. I was reading, John Ortberg told about something that he had read in the L.A. Times. The guy was coming back to a neighborhood where he'd grown up. He'd moved away 20 years ago. But he, he saw this house, and a feeling of nostalgia came over him, and he asked if he could go through the house. And sure enough, the owner said, sure. And he went into the closet and looking through the attic or something and found 
oh, found an old jacket, and he put his hand in the jacket, and there was a receipt for a shoe repair. He had left a pair of shoes, and in the move, he'd forgotten that he left a pair of shoes and forgot to pick them up. And the shoe repair place was just around the corner, so he thought just for the heck of it and the fun of it, he would just go and present the, the ticket for the shoes. It's a true story, L.A. Times. L.A. Times wouldn't lie, would he? <laughs> he took the ticket in there and handed the ticket. The guy went to the back room, came back and said, could you come back next Thursday? We'll have them then. <laughs> there are some people that are that lazy. And guys, let me tell you something. It doesn't do any good to be spiritual if you're lazy. But Joseph was doing what he could do, and then God came along and blessed him. Look at the next thing. The next thing is that God gave him favor with people. Joseph found favor, this is in verse 4, in Potiphar's eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge. God gave him favor with people. He had favor with God. God gave him favor with people. Listen to what the Bible says in Proverbs 16, verse 7. I'm reading out of the message. When God approves of your life, even your enemies will end up shaking your hand. John Kennedy wound up right after he was elected playing golf with Billy Graham. And uh, they're playing golf down in Palm, Palm Springs, and, or uh, Palm Beach, rather. And uh, at the end of the, the golf game, John Kennedy asked Billy Graham if he had any verses of Scripture for him. And he gave him this one, when a man, when a man in the King James, when a man's ways please the Lord, it makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. And as Billy Graham drove away, Kennedy turned to his aide and said, well, we can sure use that one. And all of us can. When when Joseph did what he did and God blessed him, God gave him favor with people. And then the next thing, they put him in charge. That's in verse 4. Potiphar put him in charge of his household. He trusted him. That'll be very important next week with next week's message. And then look at the next thing. In verse 5, the Bible says God blessed the household. In other words, God blessed everybody everybody around him because they were in proximity. Wouldn't it be great to have God's blessing on your life so much that not only did God bless you, but everybody who got close to you, your wife, your husband, your kids, phenomenal. And then I like this last one. The Bible says he left everything he left everything in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. I mean, Joseph was so successful and so blessed of God and so diligent that he just lowered the stress level for everybody. How many of our homes could stand the stress level being lowered, son? Here was a guy in a broken world like you and I can never dream of, sold by his brothers. His mom died when he was a kid. His brothers hated him. You know, he sold him as a slave. He's taken to a place where he doesn't know anybody. He's forced to be a slave. And yet with all that, God blesses him and gives him favor. By the way, if you have your Bibles, you can look at Genesis 39. Because as I said a few moments ago, even in this good situation, he's going to get lied on. He's going to get thrown into prison again. Look at this. This is in chapter 39, verse 20. So they took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held. And there he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Stop me if it sounds familiar. I started to buy one of these to put it up on stage, but I thought it'd be too corny for an illustration. I wonder if we have any baby boomers here today. There was a toy when I was a kid. It was called a bop bag. Anybody know what a bop bag is? All right. Bop bag was like this balloon that was weighted on the bottom. It was like a punching bag. You could hit it and knock it and it'd fall down, but because it was weighted on the bottom, it'd pop right back up. 
I started to just bring one tonight, but it'd be so corny, I thought I surely couldn't do that. But I always think about a bop bag when I think about Joseph. You know, he got knocked down over and over and over, but every time he came right back up because God was with him. And ladies and gentlemen, let me just tell you this. If you and I are going to live a functional life in a dysfunctional world, it will not be because we straighten out the world. It will not be because our ship comes in. It will be because our hearts were right before God and God poured out his favor on us. And all the things that happened happened because of God's grace in our lives. Now, here's the deal. Here's what I love about this. If a few moments ago, when I said to you, we're going to find a clue about the people God pours his favor out on. If that clue had been intelligence, I'd have been in trouble. If that clue had been being good looking, I'd sure not made that one. (laughs) If that clue had been being under 30, I would not have made that. You, You can put anything you want in there. The things that this world counts as important. I may not be able to be the smartest person, I may not be the best-looking person. I'm sure not the richest. But I can have a heart that is tender before God. I can have a submissive spirit. I can break the crust of unforgiveness and bad attitude. And I can be tender before God. I can stop whining about how badly everybody else has treated me. I can do. Isn't that great? Isn't it great that we can do those things? Because I believe, here's the thing, the Bible says, here's here's what Scripture says. Scripture says, if we will humble ourselves before the Lord, He will lift us up when the time is right. Wow, I love that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you've taught us this evening through your word. Thank you for the story of Joseph and the things that we've learned tonight and what we're going to learn over the next few weeks. Father, I pray that every believer listening to me, every person listening, would just seriously think about how wonderful it would be to have your favor, to have your grace. Undeserved though it is, Lord, how great it would be to have it. Help us to be humble before you. Father, for some of us, we've been, we've been running from your favor. All the stuff we've been doing and saying, the anger that we've had, all the emotions that we've had that have been complaining and fearful, Lord, we don't realize we've been running from your favor. I pray you'll help us to lay it all down this evening. We need you, Father. It's a broken world, but we want to be functional. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you pray with me just for one more moment? You know, favor is a synonym for grace. Isn't it interesting that the Bible says we're saved? And by the way, saved is an expression that means how that God takes us from being not his child to adopting us to become his child. Isn't it interesting that the Bible says that we're saved by grace? We're not saved by church membership, not saved by doing good things. We're saved by grace. And Scripture says this, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved because it's a gift. And and that's just something anybody can have. Scripture says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, like the song said tonight, you may have tried religion, but religion won't do it. 
if you've never truly invited Christ into your life and just given him full control of your life, why wouldn't you do that this evening? Is there a better time than tonight? I'm not asking you to join a church. I'm not asking you to give. I'm just asking you to receive. I'm asking you to ask Christ into your life because he's promised he will. You say, well, Mark, I don't understand how it works. Hey, I invited Jesus into my life 46 years ago, and I don't understand how it works. I just know he does keep his promise. And tonight, if you've never invited him in, I'm going to give you a chance. I'm going to pray a prayer. These aren't magic words, but if you'll pray them from your heart, the Lord will listen to your prayer. You ready? Why not take a chance on the Lord? Pray this with me. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you died to pay for my sins. I believe you arose from your grave, proving that you are God. I ask you to forgive me and make me God's child. By faith, I receive your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer with me, have a gift I want to give you. It won't cost you anything. It's this packet. It's got some DVDs and, and just some cool stuff that will show you how to start following Jesus free. It won't cost you anything. I want to mail it to you. When you came in tonight, you got a worship folder. Um, and your worship folder has a part that's detachable. And if you just prayed with me to receive Christ, if you'll put your name and address, check the box that says that you prayed to receive Christ, you can detach it and drop it in the offering bags or in the boxes by the back doors. I will mail this to you this week. If you have just a few extra seconds, you don't have to wait. There's two zones back there called Guest Services and New Spring Store. All you got to do is bring the card back and say, I pray with Mark, and they'll give it to you tonight and take it with you. I'm so glad you're here next week. I cannot wait to talk to you about the second part. of Really, we're going to talk about favors some more next week. Really, really great time. Thanks for being here this evening.